Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. What's up, Doug? How many of you are happy because your college team won yesterday? Well, I am happy for you. My team did not win. That's okay. I'm not mourning. Someone came up to me this morning and was like, man, I'm a little nervous to see how you were going to do this morning. That was a crazy game yesterday that the Hogs lost by one point. Anyway, it's good to see you. I'm glad we're here at church. Is it good to be at church this morning? Good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, man, I want to say hello to everybody. I want to say hello to everyone that's tuning in online. Can you do me a favor? Can you give a round of applause for everyone that's watching online? I'm glad you're here. You're part of our family. Glad you are with us. We're going to be uh, in week four of our teaching series, God Didn't Say That. And I'm just curious, have you learned some stuff during this series? I hope so. I hope so. It's been challenging for me. Uh, I heard my pastor used to always say one of the hardest things about learning the Bible is unlearning some of the wrong things that you were taught about the Bible. And that's kind of really what we're doing. We're unpacking some popular statements that, that people say that oftentimes a lot of people believe to be true, but we're learning that they're not really true at all. And why are we doing this? We're doing this because um, belief will oftentimes dictate behavior. And so if we believe something to be true that's not true, then it'll lead us to a behavior that is, well, at best it's silly and at worst it, it, it can be particularly harmful and, and damaging. And so that's what we're doing in this series. Listen, next week is a week that um, uh, it's, a, it's a message that's particularly near and dear to my heart. Um, and if there was ever a Sunday that you were going to invite somebody, somebody that, that, that you love, that you care about, that's close to you, but you, you think that they might be far from God, somebody that's asking questions about faith, um, wondering about Jesus and what he's all about, man, next week is the week to come because next week we're going to unpack the statement, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe it sincerely. I'm going to be unpacking that, so I want to invite you to invite your friends, invite people to come. Today, we're going to be unpacking what I believe is, is probably one of the most dangerous things that people can believe. It's, it's particularly one of the most dangerous things that a Christian can believe. Um, and, and the reason for that is that if you, don't, if you don't realize that God never said this, what we're going to be unpacking today, then, then it, can, it can lead you to a place where you just forevermore struggle with cycles of sin um, and patterns of addiction. And you never really kind of begin to break out of it. If you believe that what we're going to say, talk about today, that God really said that, then you're going to miss out what God intended with salvation. So oftentimes we we, we cheapen salvation to just be a get out of hell free card. And, 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 and oftentimes that's not really your fault. There's been a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers that have kind of communicated that, that the whole point of salvation is just so that you can get out of hell. And then once you know that you're out of hell, then you can live like hell if you want to. It doesn't matter. But the, the, the richness of salvation is not just so that we get into heaven, but that in Christ, heaven gets into us. And it changes us the way that we experience things and it opens doors of opportunity to be able to break free from, from old patterns and old cycles and old, old things and old narratives to be able to experience a life that is much more free and much more full of joy and peace. If you believe that God actually said this, then you are going to have unnecessary problems with people that you love the most. And if you believe that God actually said this, then at best, the best experience you will ever have if you are a Christian is a second-rate knockoff version of Christianity. Now, those are some really bold claims. But I believe it because I lived it. For years after I trusted in Christ for salvation, for years after I became a follower of Jesus, I believed this statement to be true. I believed that God actually said this. And it wasn't until I began to realize that God never said this, that I began to experience a life with Jesus that, that just simply could not be classified as boring and so what we're going to unpack today, and it's the title of the message today, is this. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. Now, oftentimes when somebody says this, they usually follow it up with kind of a part B, a second part of it. It doesn't matter what you do. 
as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. We've heard that before. Doesn't matter what you do as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Just me, not bothering anybody else, doesn't matter what I do. There's a lot of that permeating our culture today. Oftentimes it'll also be added with this caveat. It doesn't matter what I do because God just wants me to be happy. Well, the problem with that thought is that what happens when the things that make me happy hurt you? Well, that begins to be a problem because if God wants me to be happy and you to be happy and my happiness means you being hurt, well, now that doesn't work. And so we're gonna unpack this today um, and, and we're gonna be diving into this. And what I want you to see is that this, this idea that it doesn't matter what you do, I believe is one of the most insidious and subtle lies from the pit of hell. That for a lot of people who are followers of Jesus, and if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, man, I'm glad that you're here. This is no better place to be if you've got questions because all of us were where you were at one point. But if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus especially, and you, you hold on to this idea that it doesn't matter what you do, then it's, it's, it's a lie from the pit of hell that, that is constantly hamstringing you, constantly shortchanging the life that God wants you to have. Now, here's the deal. I want you to see today that, that, that Scripture teaches us how to live a life that is full of joy, full of peace, full of freedom, that God wants us to live that life. The thing that oftentimes gets in the way of us living this life are a couple of thoughts that, that, we, that we have when it comes to the things that I wanna do that I, that I oftentimes will say, it doesn't matter what I do, I wanna do this, and so I'm just gonna find a way to do it. And here, here are kind of two thoughts, and I, as I was thinking about this, perhaps you've heard this, perhaps you've thought this before. One of these is true and one of these is false. The first is this, that sin is fun. Can I tell you, that's absolutely true. Sin is absolutely fun. Because if it wasn't fun, then you wouldn't have any problem not doing it. We can laugh about that. It's okay, relax, you know, it's okay. It's, we can laugh in church, it's all right. But sin is fun. Um, just think about whatever it is, whatever that vice is that you have, right? If you, if you think all the way through that, the reason why you're drawn to that is because there's something about it that at least for a moment is enjoyable, all right, thank you, and amen from the back. <laughs> Somebody willing to keep it real in church today. Listen, my stuff, the reason why I'm drawn to my stuff is because it's fun. Sin is absolutely fun, and, and, it, and, it, and, and, and it, it's, it's used by, by the devil. It's, it's things that, that the enemy uses to draw us, to entice us, to woo us to these things. But the problem is, is it's, it's, it's poisonous. It's fun until it bites back. Now, here's the second thing, and this is absolutely false, that sin won't cost you anything and it won't hurt anybody. Well, that's absolutely wrong because at some point, sin will cost somebody something and it will hurt somebody. And you can say, well, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, if it's only hurt me, it doesn't matter. We'll talk about that. We'll unpack that a little bit more as we go along. But here's really the, the ultimate problem. It doesn't matter what I do, God just wants me to be happy. I want to start by unpacking that thought first. It doesn't matter what I do. God just wants me to be happy. You know what the problem is with this idea that God just wants me to be happy? Is that it causes us to misalign the roles in our relationship with God. I want you to follow me on this for a second. If God really just wants you to be happy, then what that means is, is that God exists for no other reason than for the express purpose of making you happy. God exists to serve you and to serve your wants, to serve your desires and to serve your needs. And if, if we live that way, then it, then it begins to shape the way that we pray about things. Now, listen, I'm just gonna tell you on the front end, God has put a message on my heart that's gonna stomp on some toes today. And I'm doing it because I love you. If you wore some steel toe boots, then you know maybe the Holy Spirit can get through there. I don't know. All right, but God, God put a message on my heart that's gonna stomp on some toes today because here's what happens. When we live like, it doesn't matter what I do, God just wants me to be happy, then what happens is, is that our prayers are overwhelmingly dominated by all the stuff I want. 
My prayers become overwhelmingly dominated by the stuff that I need God to do for me. And, and my approach, if I could see it kind of out, you know, outer body experience and be able to view the relationship that we have with God, then, then it would look like we treat God like our cosmic genie in the sky, like we're Aladdin and we got three wishes. And either Robin Williams or Will Smith comes out, depends on how old you are. All right? Somebody got that just a little bit late. <laughs> right? And so we, we, treat God, we treat God that way. And you know what else happens? If we're not really careful, and this is, Lord, just may they hear this in love. What really happens when we live like this is we begin to behave like petulant children when we don't get our way. Now, for those of you that remember the Robin Williams version of Aladdin, you probably also remember the old school Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about the weird, creepy one with Johnny Depp. Like that, like that was just weird. I don't know how that got okayed, right? Like I felt dirty watching it. I was worried my name was gonna show up on a, on a predator list or something because I watched that movie. I'm talking about the old one, right? And you remember the old one? How many of you guys have seen that? Any of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Gene Wilder, come on. And, uh, and, right, and do you remember Veruca Salt, right? And she was like, I want what I want and I want it. Yeah. Hey, can I just ask you a question real quick? How often does your prayer life with God look like that? You see, when I believe that it doesn't matter what I do, God just wants me to be happy, then I treat God like my servant. And if God becomes that servant, then what does that make me? Master. God doesn't want that for you. And the problem with that is that you can't handle that. For you. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm, Psalm 14. It says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. What this means is, in other words, it's saying, listen, there is a way that seems right to you, but you aren't even capable of understanding how it's going to work out bad for you. All I have to do to illustrate this verse is just ask, has anyone ever been in a situation where the end of it was like, oh, snap, my bad, <laughs> whoops. Didn't mean for that to happen. Or how about this? This is for the married folks. I didn't mean that when I said that. Well, that's what it sounded like, but that's not what I meant. That creates a whole nother issue. At least in my house it does. Just keeping it real today. Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to see that, that we don't, God doesn't exist to serve us because we are not God. God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the creator of all of creation. He's so powerful and so big and so overwhelmingly huge that it says that he holds the entire cosmos in the palm of his hands. And, and in the midst of all of his infinite hugeness, he's so infinitely capable that he's able to know every single issue that you have going on in your life. And he holds all of it in perfect balance, all of it in perfect order, because he is qualified to be God and we are not. Therefore, God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. And when we understand that we exist to serve him, then it changes our perspective of everything in our life, including all the things that we can have, hold, or possess, that they are not mine. They were never mine. They were always God's. And for whatever reason, God gave me the gifts, talent, ability, the time, and the resources to be able to go and to do and to work and to accomplish and to acquire. And none of it would be in my hands if God had not allowed it to be there. Therefore, everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that I do exists for the purpose of serving God. And the way that we serve God is by loving him and loving others. So we don't exist. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve God. And, and it really kind of brings up this other idea that we have to understand that God's, God was never, it's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. Right? God doesn't want you to live some miserable life. God's not a cosmic killjoy in the sky. But we have to understand that God's goal for us 
has always been holiness, not happiness. Check this out. First Peter chapter one, verse 16, Peter says, be holy. He's, he's quoting God. He says, be holy for I am holy. And by my count, this is one of nine different instances where God issues this proclamation, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, be holy because I am holy. What does this word holy mean? We have to understand this because it's a word that oftentimes gets used in church and around religion, but it's one of those words that we use a lot. But when someone goes, how do you define that? And you say, well, you see what had, and then, well, uh, I'm not, hmm. So let me define this for us today. What does the word holy mean? The word holy means to be altogether different, morally blameless. And what God is saying when he says, I am holy, he's saying that I am altogether different from everything else. I'm altogether different from you. I'm altogether different from creation. I am set apart above and beyond all of it. Why? Because he is morally blameless. And what God is saying here, when he says, be holy because I am holy, the goal is not your happiness, it's your holiness. He's saying, listen, I'm asking you, I'm calling you, I'm drawing you. The word says that it's his goodness that draws us to repentance and repentance is what helps lead us as part of the equation for us leading to holiness. The reason why God does this is he's calling us to be altogether different from this world, not better, not holier than thou, not self-righteous, not arrogant, and not, you know, a spiritual jack wagon that's going around telling everyone how much better they are than everyone else. So that people can see us as morally blameless, becoming more like Christ, and people begin to see, like, I know who they used to be, and I see who they are now, and that's no way they did that on their own. It creates the opportunity for us to insert Jesus into the equation and help people see what's possible when you live and follow and trust Jesus. So Jesus, God is telling us today, I want you to understand that holiness, not happiness, is the goal. The reality of it is, is that salvation is not the finish line. I alluded to this just a little bit earlier, but salvation is really just the starting line. At the moment of salvation, you have been forgiven from the penalty of sin. Because we sin, there is a penalty. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. Okay? And so at the moment that you trust in Jesus for salvation, all of the penalty that God would hold against you because of your sin, it has been forgiven. You've been set free from it. And there is no spiritual court of law where you will ever be held guilty because of your sin. Additionally, you're not just set free from sin's penalty, but you're also set free from sin's power, which means that when those things show up, the things that draw us to go do those things, that, that, that when they shows up, you're not, you're not a, a slave shackled to the master of sin and you have to go where it leads, that Jesus has broken the bonds that held you to that sin and that you no longer have to live under the power of that sin, which means that every single time that you find yourself in temptation, you have it within you in Christ to be able to say, sin, you have no power over me. I don't have to do that. God has given us this ability so that we can engage in this lifelong pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. And so the question becomes, God, why? Why would you choose happiness? Why would you choose holiness instead of happiness? I believe it's because God knows this. I believe it's because God knows that happiness is a fleeting feeling. Now, you know this to be true. Because at some point, there was a time in your life when you said, man, if I had fill in the blank, I would be happier. Why don't you think about that for a second? Has there ever been a time where you thought, man, if I just had fill in the blank, I would be happier. There's a lot of people who fill the blank in with a lot of different things. There's a lot of people who go, man, if I just had a, if I could just find a spouse, if I could find a mate, then I would be happier. Sure, it's a fleeting feeling, but there's a lot of people in the church that would say, I don't have much happiness right now because of my spouse. (laughs) 
Now listen, if you're in a situation, things are tough, we're not trying to make light of that. I'm just trying to use it as an illustration that at one point in your life, you thought if I could just get a spouse, then I would be happier. And you got a spouse and you had happiness for a minute and then now you got whatever this is. Let me illustrate it maybe a different way. Again, I'm not trying to make light of things. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make some things real today. There's a lot of people who spend a lot of time that have said, if I could just conceive and have a child, then I would be happy. At the same time, there's a lot of folks in the church who would say, if I could just have a little bit more sleep, I got the kids. If I could get you a little bit more sleep, I could be happy. I don't think anybody would say that, you know what, these kids, I'm done with them. You know, they ain't bringing me happiness anymore. Can I send them back? Return to sender. Well, actually, there may be quite a few people who would say that. The point I'm trying to illustrate today is that, that happiness is not, it's not lasting. It, it, it's fluid. It's defined by situations and circumstances and seasons in our life. And whatever it is that we would put in that blank, if I could just have blank, then I would be happy that it might be that way for a moment, but then it's not. If I could just get the new house, I would be happy. Fine. And then you get, realize you are house poor. If I could just get that new car, fine. But the new car smell wells off way before the payments do. Happiness is a fleeting moment. Here's, here's what else God knows. That holiness is a state of being that is altogether different. And that it's in the pursuit of holiness that God begins to cultivate things in our lives like peace and joy and freedom that are, that are insulated by the grace of God from the situations and the circumstances that make it possible that even when all hell is breaking loose in my life, I can still have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Here's what else God knows. God knows that the happiest you will ever be is the moment that you are closest to Jesus. Now, if you've never been close to Jesus, then that's not gonna make any sense to you. But there are some people in church today that would say, I may or may not be there in this moment, but when I think about the happiest moments of my life, it was the moments in my life where I was so close to Jesus that I feel like I could touch him. Doesn't matter what I do. Besides, God just wants me to be happy. That's false. That doesn't work. God wants you to be holy. Here's the second thing that I want you to see today. I want you to see that, that what we do matters. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what I do. As long as nobody gets hurt. That's silly. What we do absolutely matters. And the reality of it is, is that everybody in the world knows this. And depending on your, your frame of reference, but depending on your motivation or your worldview, you, there, there, is a, there is a law, there is a rule, that, a principle that is at play that every single person like above the age of you know, 15 on the planet knows. If you're a non-faith, non-science oriented people, you know it as cause and effect. If you're a science-related person, then you know it as Newton's third law of, of thermodynamics, that there, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. If you are Buddhist and Hindu, then you're familiar with the, 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 the idea of karma, that what goes around comes around. All of this sounds really good. Everyone frames it their own way, but really it's just a, um, it's a plagiarized thing from God's word. I don't know if you know that or not. Galatians chapter six and verse seven says this, Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, what he's talking about here is he's, he, he's talking about this idea, but he's using agrarian language because it was a, it was a farming culture that, that this was written in. And he goes, listen, here's what you need to know. You already know this. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. If he sows, if he plants uh, a corn seed, he's not gonna get an orange tree. That's not how, or, if, if he plants an orange seed, he's not gonna get a cucumber, Whatever a man sows, whatever seed he puts into the ground, the fruit that comes from it that he will one day be able to reap as a harvest will be connected to the seed that was planted in the ground. You can call it cause and effect if you like. You can call it uh, thermodynamics if you like. You can call it karma if you like. I don't care what you like. I'm just telling you that the Bible refers to it as the law of sowing and reaping. This is the original source of this idea, by the way. 
And he goes on to explain in verse eight, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. In other words, he's saying, when you sow to the, the, the fleshly things, the things that you desire that, that, that God's word does not define as good and right and holy, when you sow to those things, you will reap corruption. You're gonna reap something that is corrupted, something that has been decimated, um, something that is less than what you wanted it to be. You're gonna get to that point and you're gonna realize, wow, this is not nearly as valuable as I had hoped because it's become corrupted. Conversely, when you sow to the spirit, or, or in other words, when you do the things that are right and good according to God's word and God's ways, when you, when you sow to the spirit, when you do good stuff, then you'll get good stuff in return. Now here's the deal. That would be fantastic news if everybody always only did good things ever. Sweet. I just gotta keep being my good, awesome, amazing, fantastic self. I'll keep doing the good stuff and I'll keep getting the good stuff in return. But here's the problem though. The problem is, is that nobody ever always only does what is right and good ever. Romans chapter three tells us that there is none righteous, no, no one, meaning, meaning that it, there's not a single one of us who only ever do what is right. That, that, that there's, there's these things, there's something within us, there's something inside of us that constantly draws and woos and pulls us not to do what is right and good according to God's word and God's standard, but there's something inside of us that pulls us to do what, what Galatians 6 refers to as the stuff of the flesh. The Bible calls those things sin. And here's the deal. There's a little misnomer uh, uh, when it comes to this idea of sin uh, that, that I feel like we need to clarify. The, the reality of it is, is that all sin is equal in the sight of God in that any sin would have required the death of Jesus on the cross. It doesn't matter how big or small it is. Romans 3 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's a, you know, something really small, like, you know, I ate a little too much or a little white lie or, uh, you know, whatever, um, or, or something super big. I embezzled money. I, I, you know, caused harm to somebody, whatever it is. What God, what God's word paints is that any sin, regardless of whether or not you or I view it as a little bitty sin or a great big, terrible, awful sin, all of it would have, let, would have required Jesus to die on the cross, which is the reason why Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love, that while we were still sinners, he doesn't quantify or qualify the type of sin. He talks about the nature that is within us. The reality of it is, is that we, we do sinful things because we are born as sinful people. So because we're all sinners, God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. So all sin would have led to the death of Jesus. Scripture tells us that from the foundation of the world, the lamb of God was slain, meaning before God even started Genesis chapter one, he knew that Jesus was gonna have to die on the cross. But all sin is not equal when it comes to the way it affects us. All sin is not equal in the way it impacts us and our life on earth or our life in eternity. Talking about this idea, I saw a pastor recently who laid it out like this and I wanna do what he did because I think it was really good and it made a lot of sense. Here's the deal. We have to understand that what we do in our lives, it matters. What we do in our lives, the things that we say, the things that we do, it, there is an impact. There is, a, there is a cause and effect. You sowed it and you're gonna reap it. My mama used to say, boy, you made your bed, you can lie in it. I'm like, that's why I don't ever wanna make my bed. And I still don't. It's a point of friction sometimes. But when I do make the bed, you better believe I'm taking pictures of it and I'm texting that going, look what I did. The things we do in our life matters. I want you to see it this way. And it matters, it has an impact in three ways. It, what we do in our lives has consequences on earth. It has consequences on earth. 
All sin is equal and that Jesus would have had to die on the cross for it. The consequences that you face on earth are not the same. I'll put it to you this way. Um, as a pastor, uh, there is a certain level of uh, integrity. There's a certain level of moral character that's kind of required to have the moral authority to do the job. Um, and there are things that um, biblically and even culturally speaking that a pastor can do and still be a pastor. I can, I can lie to you about something and you may not like it and it's sin and it's wrong and I'd have to repent of it. But in all probability, the board of our church is not gonna come to me and say, Jern, you lied to Doug Bleem about how good you were at golf. <laughs> and he played with you last week and he told us what you said and we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to fire you now. That's probably not gonna happen. However, if as a pastor, I don't just lie to Doug Bleem about my golf ability, but I go lay with someone who is not my wife, we see there's different consequences there. Do you understand what I'm saying? What we do in our life, it has consequences on earth it also has rewards in heaven. Scripture talks about um, various different crowns that, that, that are awarded. I don't have time to unpack all of that. Do a Google search, the crowns, uh, rewards in heaven and go read it and study it. It's an interesting study for your own self. But there's rewards for what we do in heaven. We've talked about that. We've talked about that, that what we do in our life matters for eternity. Let's invest in the things that matter for eternity because all of the stuff we don't get to take with us. What we get to take with us is the souls of people. And the third impact of what we do in our life, it has, there, it has punishment in hell. If it's unforgiven sin, you've not trusted in Christ for salvation, then there will be punishment in hell. I wanna share a couple of verses to kind of help unpack this. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus was speaking to the, about the Pharisees and he says this, that he who, uh, those who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Now we don't exactly know what this means. The Bible doesn't tell us. God doesn't, hasn't created, um, you know, uh, a matrix of a chart of go, okay. So Larry did this to that person this many times. Yep, that's what he's gonna get in hell. It's not how it works. God doesn't tell us that. Jesus just gives us a little bit of insight that speaking of the Pharisees, the, the ones who were supposed to be taking care of the widows and the orphans and the least of these, they were taking advantage of them and they were offering these long, pretentious, look how holy and righteous I am prayers. And Jesus says that they will receive greater condemnation. In uh, John chapter 19, Jesus has been arrested. He's talking to Pontius Pilate and he tells Pontius Pilate, therefore, the one who delivered me to you has greater sin. He's referring to Judas, one of the disciples who betrayed Jesus with a kiss for, uh, for some silver, right? He's saying, the one who betrayed me has greater sin than you, Pontius Pilate. Further, in 1 Corinthians chapter six, the apostle Paul talks about a, a, a type of sin that is altogether different than every other kind of sin when he talks about sexual sin. He says this in verse 18, flee sexual immorality for every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. He's saying, listen, every, almost every other reference of sin in scripture, God tells us to fight, fight sin, fight sin, fight sin. But when it comes to sexual sin, he goes, don't fight that junk, Run from that junk. You can't handle that stuff. Sexual sin is like napalm, right? Like it, it's not an explosive that it just goes and then everything falls apart. And it's not an accelerant like gas that just makes the flame hotter. No, napalm is, is, is a sticky substance that attaches to whatever it's been dropped on and it, and it, it gels to it. It conforms to whatever it's, it's, it's touched and it just burns that thing that it's touched. You go, oh, that's fine. It's a fire. I'll put it out with water. No, water just causes napalm to spread. And so God is saying, listen, y'all gotta understand, sexual sin, it's like napalm. Like, stop trying to fight it. Stop trying to put it out. Stop trying to just go out and dabble just a little bit. No, 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 flee from that. 
And he's saying sexual sin is, is different than any other kind of sin because it's not sin against somebody else. It's a sin that is self-mutilating to yourself. And so God tells us these impacts. What we do matters. It matters for what we experience on earth. It matters what we experience in eternity. And when we get to the point where we go, well, it doesn't matter what I do as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Can I just tell you that's so incredibly short-sighted? Because if you're sinning against God, if you're living in sin, if, you're, if you are caught in a, in a, in a, in a cycle of sin, if you, if you can't break free from it and you get to the point and go, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. Jesus died on the cross. I'm forgiven. All my sins, past, present, and future, you know. So Jesus, I claim the blood of Jesus. Forgive me. doesn't really matter what I do because you already forgave me. And then you further justify it by saying, it doesn't really hurt anybody. It's so short-sighted. You know, it's just porn. It, you know, it's not really hurting anybody. Nobody knows about it. Okay. Well, let me know how that works for you when, when that has created unrealistic expectations that you carry into the bedroom. Let me know how when that creates, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, insecurity issues with your spouse because they can't measure up to your unrealistic expectations that you've carried because of what you saw. It's not hurting anybody else. That's hogwash. Stop that. Yes, it is. It's not hurting anybody else. Talk to me about that when I'm counseling your kids because dysfunction has reached such a point that somebody's thrown out the D word and mom and dad are getting divorced and now your children are living in the devastation in the wake of destruction behind that thing that wasn't really hurting anybody. It's just gluttony. So what? I like to eat. It's not really a sin. I mean, I know it's a sin. I shouldn't do it. I know God says that gluttony is a sin. It's not hurting anybody else. Okay. Well, tell me how that works for you in those moments where you have to tell family and friends that you can't be a part of that memory-making thing because you're not able to. Not because you have a debilitating diagnosis or because something medically has happened, that the reason that you have a medical issue is because you have a self-discipline issue that you couldn't stop sinning with the fork. And you have to tell those loved ones, I'm sorry, I can't be a part of what you're doing because I'm not physically able. And it's not because there's some super fitness freaks that are doing it. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not really hurting anybody. Okay, let me know about how that works when I'm counseling your family while standing over your casket because you died early because you continually sinned against God by the, what you consumed through your mouth. That's just Pride. It's not really hurting anybody. I mean, I know about it, you know. I'm doing my thing. It's not hurting anybody, okay. Well, let me know how that works for you when, when your pride has created such a monster that, that you can't hear encouragement or feedback from other people, that, that you can't hear when you've done something wrong, when you can't come to the point of admitting that you did something wrong and apologizing for it. And you, because of your pride, you, your presence has created such a hostile and uncomfortable environment that the people whom you love the most don't want anything to do with you. Doesn't matter what I do, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, that's baloney. Let me tell you about sin. Sin will always, always, always lead you to a place where it will take you farther than you ever wanted to go and will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. What happens is, what's shocking is how many of us continue to live in this pattern of sin where we continue to, to cycle back and to circle back and to, and to come back to, to those sinful things. And we get, we get guilty, we get caught into what, what I call the done-done-it syndrome. Why done-done-it? Don't matter if I done it again. I done messed up, I done, I done did the thing, so, you know, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter that much. No, it does matter. That in Christ, you... Yes, you were set free from the penalty of sin, but you were set free from the power of it that you don't have to keep doing that. And I know I'm stepping on some toes this morning. I'm not doing, doing it because I, I'm mad at you. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to you know, bring that angry preaching. That's not what I'm doing. I'm doing it because I love you. 
And because sin is destroying our lives. It's, it's a cancer that eats away from the inside and the devil from the pit of hell has convinced us, oh, it doesn't matter what you do. You do you, man. It's not hurting anybody. God just wants you to be happy. Because we don't understand what salvation is, that we think it just gets us out of hell, that we don't, we don't understand and we don't see and we don't appropriate the power of God to lead us away from sin, to lead us to a place where we can experience the joy and the freedom and the forgiveness and, and all of the incredible, beautiful, amazing things that Jesus died on the cross for you to have. We don't understand what God's word says when he says in Galatians chapter six, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I done did it once. I do this when it comes to any kind of diet or eating plan, by the way. Y'all pray for me. But we go by and I started on Monday. I'm gonna do good this week. Somewhere around Wednesday, I go to a lunch appointment with somebody and they're like, let's go eat at this place. And I'm looking at that going, ain't no way in heck I'm getting a salad there. That's freaking barbecue. I ain't getting no barbecue salad. It'd be un-American. It would be un-Kansas City. It would be un-man-like. I am eating some barbecue. But then because Wednesday happened, then I get to, you know, Friday and somebody done bought a donut. Had one, might as well have five. You know what I'm saying? I done did it. Then <laughs> we get to the weekend. I'm, I'm explaining to you my past week, by the way. I'm just letting you into my life, <laughs> right? Yesterday, I'm watching the football game with my son. My son, we went to a... Uh, um, a parade and they're throwing out candy, right? And, uh, and so they come home with all this candy and somebody is some righteous people throwing out some Reese's peanut butter cups, but also of the devil. And so my, my uh, Carson, he comes and he brings this big old bucket of candy and sits it next to me on the couch. And I'm thinking, I ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna do it. Nope. Mm-mm. Carson goes, daddy, look at this. We got all kinds of Reese's cups and Reese's pieces. I ain't gonna do it. Get behind me, Satan. I ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna do it. Daddy, do you want one? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do want one. As a matter of fact, no, I don't. I want seven. Thank you. And then my dad comes over last night, like late, and he's like, hey, I think we need some ice cream. I'm like, might as well. Done, done it. Listen, I know we're having some fun with this, but can I tell you, this same thing works itself out in our lives with sin that is devastating and destroying us. And with gospel, what the word of the Lord is saying, shall we continue in sin so that grace should be, may abound? Lord, I know I done did it and I done did it again and again and again and again and I'm here again and I'm, thank you Jesus that you forgave me. I'm so glad, but I, you know, I just keep on, you know, I'm not gonna do it anymore, but then I do it again. What, shall we continue in this cycle so that grace may abound? Certainly not. Notice what he says in verse two, certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer in it. He said, listen, the power that sin had on you is dead. The only way it has power over you is when you revive it and bring it back to life. The way that you revive it and bring it back to life is when you put yourself in a situation where temptation and opportunity can have a baby. You say, Pastor Jern, you don't, you don't know about my sin stuff though. You don't know how many times, I, you don't know how long I've been dealing with this, how, how long I've been wrestling with, 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 with gluttony. You don't know how long I've been wrestling with porn. You don't know how long I've been wrestling with, with fear. You don't know how long I've been wrestling with controlling my tongue, my pride, my anger. You don't know how long I've been wrestling. I don't, you're right, I don't. But I do know that if you continue to believe that it doesn't matter what you do because God wants you to be happy and it doesn't matter what you do because it doesn't hurt anybody, I do know that you continuing to live in that belief will lead you down to a very, very dark and lonely road. And the devil from hell will add on shame and he'll pour on guilt and he'll, he'll back the dump truck of condemnation over and he will bury you alive under the power of something that in Christ you are dead to. I said, Jern, is there any hope for me? Yeah, there is. 
There is hope for you because our God is a good God. He is loving and he is gracious and he is kind and he doesn't just, um, you know, um, weirdly just hold holiness as a goal for us that we can never reach so that he can constantly toss his lightning bolts of, of judgment and condemnation and, and pain and, and consequences on your life. That's not what he does, no. Because the Bible says in James that our God is a good and perfect God. and He gives good and perfect gifts who come down from the father of lights. Jesus said that if you who are, who are humanly, who are sinful, if, if you would give when your child asked for food, you wouldn't give them a serpent, then your heavenly father would not do this same. And so God has not called you. He's not called me to holiness and left us on our own to just figure it out and, 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 and constantly let, um, fail to meet the expectation again and fail to measure up again and, and grovel back to God again. God, here I am again. I'm so sorry, God. I can't believe I'm here again, God. I can't believe I did that. I told you last time I wasn't going to do it, but here I am. Listen, here's what we have to understand, that our God is such a good God that he tells us, and we talked about this verse last week just for a moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says that there is no temptation that has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is what's that word? Because he's faithful, here's what he's going to do. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. What that means is, is that every single moment when that vice, that thing that, that whispers your name that you wish would just shut up and go away, God says, I'm with you. He says, I've, I've given you my Holy Spirit. And if you would listen to his voice, that still small voice, while the other voices are screaming at you, come do this, come enjoy this. It's not that bad. It's not gonna hurt anybody. It doesn't matter. Nobody's even gonna know about it. That God, every single time, will be faithful to send his Holy Spirit and the voice will call and sometimes it will be just a whisper and it will say, follow me. You don't want that. I know it's fun, but it's going to cost you more than what you want to pay. I know it's going to feel good, but it's going to lead you to a place that you don't really want to go. Follow me. Can I tell you sometimes the way of escape? God opens the door, but you've got to walk through it. Sometimes the way of escape is you need to call somebody. Hey, I just need you to know I'm struggling right now and I need somebody to talk to because if I'm not talking to anybody, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go there. And I don't want that, but it's called, the voice is so loud and the pull is so strong. Sometimes the way of escape I'm at this party. Come get me. Send. I'm trying to tell you today that sin will destroy your life. For us as followers of Jesus, it's critical that we understand that Jesus went to the cross to forgive us of the penalty, but also the power of it. And God is faithful. He's so faithful. He will meet you in those moments and he will say, my dear child, don't do that. He's not gonna force himself on you. It's your choice. You can choose to do it. And yes, the grace of God will forgive you. But there are consequences that you don't want to pay. Why does God do this? Because it's who he is. Why does, why does God make a way of escape? Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, he is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. 
faithful and he loves you and he's not trying to take things from you. He's trying to give things to you. And we hinder the gifts and the good things of God in our life when we go down the road of sin and his grace will cover the eternal consequence in Christ. But nowhere did he ever promise that he would alleviate the physical consequences on earth. What do you need today? Do you need to experience Jesus as the way? Because you're caught and you're stuck in a pattern of sin. There's things that are drawing you. There's temptation that is calling your name and screaming at the top of its lungs and you can't hear anything else. And today you need to call out to Jesus as the way. Say, God, would you show me the way out? Maybe today you need to experience Jesus as the truth because what's screaming at you are all of the labels and all of the condemnation and all of the shame of all of the things that you've done. And you need to experience Jesus as the truth and says what defines you is not what you did. What defines you is what I did for you. And I died on the cross for those sins and I paid for it so that you didn't have to carry it anymore. And I set you free not only from its penalty, but its power hear the truth of who Jesus is today. Or maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you need to experience him as the life. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that I am the way, or I'm sorry, uh, that I came to give life and life abundantly. And your life is defined as anything but. Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And today he is reminding you of this. He's letting you know, maybe for the first time, who he is so that you can respond to him and experience who he is in your life in a personal way today. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word faith to 816 203 1835. Again, that's the word faith to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.